Well, we are doing a, somewhat of a short series on our core values. You can see behind me, we've got our core values, the Bible, the gospel, and the body. And uh, today, we are going to be looking at the gospel. The year 1945 was a landmark year, not only for the U.S., but for all in the world. May 8th, 1945 was the day President Truman announced that the Germans had unconditionally surrendered, thus ending the war in Europe. Hitler was dead, and the Nazis' reign of terror came to an end. This was the deadliest and most destructive war and would officially be deemed over when the Japanese surrendered as well. Ticker tape and stream, streamers fell from the sky as American troops landed safely on the shores of the country they defended. Peace had once again taken the place of turmoil, and justice prevailed in the place of tyranny. But can you imagine, put yourself in the shoes of the people in 1945, can you imagine being uh, the spouse or a child of a soldier awaiting the news of when the war would be over? and your love, to hear if your loved one had come out alive. To hear those words proceed from President Truman's mouth, announcing the end of the conflict, and to make matters better, to hear that your beloved spouse or parent had lived to see another day, and to see them soon after their arrival home. Remember, we live in a time when news is dispensable to us 24-7, but then, you had to wait days, if not weeks, to receive any kind of news. In the ancient world, when there was a war or, uh, and, and the, air, the air had cleared, excuse me, and the victorious arm, army began, began the trek home, they would send a messenger ahead with the announcement of the victory. These marathon runners had one job to do whatever it takes to announce that the war was over in their, to their homeland and that their army had won. Listen to Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye to see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you, wa you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. But how do we know Good news is good news. This is how. Because bad news exists. Think for just a moment about the worst news that you've ever received. And not to trudge up any trauma, but without the bad news, we would never have good news to compare it to. It would all just be news. So, what is the gospel? When you think about it as simply as you can, as plainly as you can, what is the gospel? I want to refer us back to our core values, the Bible, the gospel, and the body. And today we're going to look at, like I said earlier, we're going to look at core value number two. This is something that holds us together, a pillar of our church. Because the Bible is a core value at Redeemer, we need to get our definition of the gospel, or anything else for that matter, from the Bible. 
The order of these values matter. We believe the Bible is true, or to remind ourselves of the five solas which also guide our church. And you can refer to them, they're on that back wall back there if you ever wanted to take a minute and look at those. Those are the five solas of the Reformation. We believe in Scripture alone, and we are saved by faith alone, uh, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Those are the five solas of the Reformation. So, this is what the gospel is. If you're a note taker, you can note this. The gospel is a message that is to be proclaimed about the life, death, and resurrection of the perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. I think it, it, it lays it out perfectly for us here. It says, how then can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So, the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. We must speak the gospel with our mouths. Listen, there's this idea for some reason here in the West that you can just live a really good life and people might know you're a Christian. And they might know the gospel if you live a really good life. Listen, there will be people who enter into eternal damnation knowing that you are a good person. We must proclaim the gospel with our mouths. And of course, we could nuance it and spend much time on different elements of the gospel, but at the very heart of the gospel is this. Dr. J.I. Packer said, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners. And the passage I love to take someone to when I'm explaining the gospel to them is Ephesians chapter 1, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're a note taker, note that. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this. Says, Paul says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the good news, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If I ever need to 
take someone to a passage about the gospel, that's the perfect place to take someone to, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But in this series, even though it is a reminder of our core values, I want to look back at the Old Testament to see God's faithfulness and how it is conveyed and carries the truth of the gospel along for centuries now. Listen, apart from God's faithfulness, there would be no Bible. And apart from His faithfulness to His Word, there would be no good news. God's faithfulness to the gospel secures us in why this message is one that even angels long to see. Look at 1 Peter. I know I'm having you turn to a few places, but I, I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So even the angels who were created by God long to know the gospel. So before we get to our main text today in Jeremiah, I want to focus, focus us in for just a few minutes on why the gospel is so valuable. Without the gospel, listen church, without the gospel we would be sunk. When we think about the grace of God in the message of redemption, it should blow us away. The gospel begins with God and ends with God. God is holy, so He demands holiness from His creation. But because of sin, we cannot produce that holiness on our own. And in fact, in our sinful state, we don't want to be holy. Our desperately wicked hearts want to sin. We are rebels who are dead in our sins and trespasses, we just read in Ephesians chapter 2. This is why we need Christ as mediator. We need Him as Savior. We need Him as Redeemer and Lord. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 about this glorious exchange that takes place. Jesus became sin, taking our sin and making it His responsibility. Though He was undeserving of it, He took the punishment on the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God fully and paid the penalty we owed for our unrighteousness. The legal transaction that takes place when Christ cries out, it is finished from the cross as He joyfully accomplishes it in our place, what the Father sent Him to do. Listen, this is solely on the base, basis of grace. We receive righteousness instead of the punishment of eternal death. So this is where I'd like to transition us into our text of, about faithfulness in the gospel, God's faithfulness in the gospel, and how it transforms us. We need the grace of God to save us. His saving work is not 99% Him and 1% us. We do not climb the ladder of works a few rungs and wait for Him to come get us. He reaches down and raises the dead to life. He removes our hearts of stone and replaces them with hearts made new that love Him and submit to Him. 
He produces a new birth. This is the glorious gospel that we carry into the world as his ministers of reconciliation. God making his appeal to the world through us. So turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah is in the uh, Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So last week we looked at core value number one, the Bible. And we looked at an Old Testament historical narrative in Nehemiah. But today, we are still in the Old Testament, and I want to look at a different genre, which is the Old Testament prophecy. So I know for some of us, when you hear prophecy or prophet, it may take us to some unhelpful places, but I pray that today you would keep your gospel lenses on and remember that this is simply God using someone to speak of something that would happen later in the future. We need to demystify this and thank God that he chose to use men like Jeremiah to convey a message to his people of warning, of comfort, and exhortation. It all pointed to God and what he will do next. So this is just for some context. Jeremiah was a young man when God called him to be a prophet. This all did not come easy to Jeremiah as he endured much persecution for the message of repentance he proclaimed. He was hated by his own people and they did not want to hear what he had to say. Many scholars refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet for all that he suffered and how truly painful it was. The ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible says this, the message of Jeremiah was threefold. Number one, God's people have sinned grievously against the Lord. That's message number one. Message number two, God will judge his people of their sin. In this case, through the onslaught of the Babylonians. So that's message number two. And finally, message number three that was coming from Jeremiah's lips. God is both unfailingly faithful and bountifully merciful and will bring restoration and salvation. That's the mes three messages that Jeremiah had in his book. So a quick reminder, we need bad news before we know how good the good news is. We need bad news to contrast the good news. We need to know how good the good news is. And even in this Old Testament book of prophecy, the gospel is what anchors it and keeps it moving forward. 
So in chapters 30 through 33 of Jeremiah, he begins to speak of what is coming for the people of Israel even after the Babylonians capture them and take them into exile. So let's look at these four verses in chapter 31 that we just read. This section begins with a proclamation. If you still have your Bible open there, look at it at verse 31. It says, behold. That would have been like grabbing someone's face to make sure they're paying close attention. Parents, have you ever had to grab your kid's face to make sure they're listening to you? Some of you parents are like, yes, I just did that this morning. Or when I'm up here preaching, sometimes I say, look at me, church, listen to me. It's like saying, behold. This is, you have to pay attention to what Jeremiah is about to say. Then God says through Jeremiah that the day is coming when he will make a new covenant with his people. Not like the covenant he made with Abraham. He reminds them of what he did when he delivered them from Egypt. The great exodus, but also reminds them that the covenant he made with them was broken time after time by those people. And look at verse 33. God clarifies what he will do. It says, he will put a law within them by writing it on their hearts. He will be their God and they will be his people. God will not be some distant idea or a story that was told but he will be near and in their nearness, in his nearness, excuse me, he will make himself known. So listen, we have, to, we have to stop right here and we have to ask the question. Why was God saying that he was gonna write the law on their hearts? This would have gotten their attention because they knew the law was written on those stones many years ago. So for, for Jeremiah to say that God is one day going to write the law on their hearts, it means something more personal. So what does all of this mean and how does it help us see gospel truth? I want us to see that the gospel is not just some idea that pops into God's head one day because his people have made a mess of things. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ, listen, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ was plan A all along, and there was no backup plan. Listen, there never is with God. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning, that God does not have a backup plan with you, that God has called you to be the spouse that you are, or the parent that you are, or the coworker that you are, or the church member that you are, God has called you to be that person. He has gifted you, uh, he has gifted you, given you those gifts that you need to serve in whatever area you're in, according to Acts chapter 17. And God has no backup plan. He's not waiting for a better version of you. And this is true in the gospel too. It was agreed upon in, in eternity past, in Father, Son, and Spirit, that this, one day the Son would be sent to pay for the sins of the people. There is no backup plan with God. So these four verses are what the Bible is all about. God made a good world, and we fractured it with our rebellion. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promises that the snake crusher, okay, kiddos, I need your help here. Who is the snake crusher? Jesus. Jesus is the snake crusher that will come one day and crush the head of the serpent. Isn't it encouraging to know that your kids are learning something back there? Jesus is the snake crusher who will be born one day to strike the head of the great serpent who is Satan. The plan to redeem a people for himself and by himself is set into motion all those many years ago. God is a covenant-keeping God. Even when we fail to do our part, church, he continues to be faithful even when we choose other lovers, even when we put other gods in his place, God continues to be faithful to his covenant. So the imagery here that Jeremiah speaks to the people, it would have been astounding to them. They knew of the covenant that God made with the patriarchs. So for him to say that there would be a new covenant would have captured their attention. God wrote his law on the stones for Moses, but now he promises that he will write it on their hearts. Listen, this is the gospel hope that we have. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This, is, this blows my mind that a God who sits in the heavens and the earth is his footstool would say, they, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will care for them. Do we see God's faithfulness in the gospel? The fact that he would stand by his promise even when we sin against him to bring us home one day should amaze us. Our sin demands justice from a holy God, yet he gives us mercy and grace in the forgiveness he offers us in Christ. Look at the, the end of verse 34 in Jeremiah chapter 31. Kyle, can you throw that up on the screen for me? The end of verse 34 says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Listen, church, look at me for just a moment. You might be here this morning and struggling with sin that you, can just, you just can't get clear of it. The sins that we cannot forget, God cannot remember. According to Psalm 103, it says that he casts our sins as far as the east and from the west, is from the west. And do you know when the east and the west meet? Never. It says that he cast them into the deepest part of the sea, and I like to add this on, and he posts a sign, that say, uh, he posts a sign there that says, no fishing allowed. The sins that you cannot forget, God cannot remember. Though the accuser roars of sins that I have done, and thousands more I know, Jehovah knoweth none. That's a beautiful truth this morning. So, we live on the other side of this message Jeremiah preached, and now we know that this promise has been fulfilled in Christ. But here's the question for us, church. Does it change how we live? If this law is written on our hearts, do we long to live it out? Do we live as if he is near to us, or even in the darkest and what seems like the loneliest hours of our lives, do we know that he is near? 
If God is faithful to his word, he will be faithful to the gospel that is written on its pages. If he is faithful to that same gospel, he will be faithful to those that it has the power to save. Will his faithfulness, in turn, give us the fuel we need to be faithful to him? Will it give us the fuel that we need to be faithful to him? Listen, church, we are not, as Christians, we are not obedient, so we're not obedient simply so God won't kick us out of the family. We are obedient because our hearts have been made new and that law has been written on our hearts and we know that God is with us and that he doesn't hold our sins against us any longer. We know that he's a forgiving God. We know that he is a forgetful God when it comes to our sins. He chooses not to remember them. This is the reminders that we need on a weekly basis to be faithful to his word, to be faithful to the proclamation of the gospel. Why? Because we believe that it's true, because our hearts have been made new, church. I want to look at one more place and then we'll be done. Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. And listen, Jeremiah helped write the book of Lamentations, and Lamentations was, it simply means to lament, to be sad with hope, to grieve with hope. And listen, these few verses come out of a heart that has been just blown away by the grace of God. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. I'm sure my wife knows this by memory. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, mercy nev His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. What gives me hope? Simply, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that I find in His Word. So church, here's the challenge for us this morning. Let's be faithful to His Word, and let's be faithful to the gospel that we find written on its pages. Faithful to His Word, faithful to the proclamation of the purity of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus came and He lived in real time. He lived perfectly in your place and in mine. And he died a substitutionary death on that wretched Roman cross in your place and in mine. And after he died, a physical death, he died, was buried in a tomb, in a borrowed tomb, and ra was raised by the power of the Spirit and resurrection power. We believe in that gospel that can save anyone from anything, anywhere. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up, and we're just going to respond with one song here in just a moment. We're going to respond with one song, and I pray that as we sing, that uh, you'll know that you're invited into this. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's, here's simply all I can say to you is repent and believe. 
Repentance simply means to, to, to confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and to say, I'm sorry for those sins and to turn your back on them and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who can save. Repent and believe. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in the gospels, we read the message, repent and believe. So if you're here this morning and you have questions, you have doubts, uh, you have pushback, you have concerns, I'll be in the back of the room as we respond in just a moment, and I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to pray with you, I'd love to answer any questions I can. And if you're here this morning and you say, yes, I'm in Christ, I am a Christian, I'm one of those who has the law written on their hearts, do you see God's faithfulness in the gospel? Do you see God's faithfulness in the gospel? Do we see that it wasn't a backup plan, but we see that it was plan A all along? Do we see God's faithfulness in the gospel? And as we sing in just a moment, I'd love for you, as you sing, to just think about these words that we heard in Jeremiah, this new covenant that we get to be a part of, of God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his loyal love, his kindness to his people, that he is with us, and he will never let us go. Let me pray.